Thank you so much for checking out the audio version of my channel, Ruslan KD, can you stream out loud on all platforms? If you, yes, you find this valuable, the best way you can reach me, the best way you can give me feedback, the best way you can even hop into a group Zoom call with me is through our King's Dream Patreon community. So consider partnering with us there. The link is in the description of this podcast. Thank you so much for all the love and support. Now enjoy. Bruce Lawn. In light of all the conversations circling evangelicalism, Christianity today, doing a podcast about a famous megachurch pastor, all kinds of stuff in the media about people who not don't always act the nicest in the name of Jesus, get polarized, say things that sometimes just aren't beneficial. I wanted to highlight voices that I found personally valuable, personally encouraging content that I like. And so we're going to be doing a series of these solution talks. Maybe that's what I'll even call it. Uh, A series called Solution Talks, where we talk to people and highlight people who I believe are part of the solution. And who better to start us off with? Trey Van Camp, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks, man. I love being on here. I remember, I don't know, you wouldn't know this. We first met, though, at Sean Cannell's event, Grow With Video Live. Shout out to Sean Cannell. Shout out to Sean Cannell. The first day I saw you, and I was like, I need to say hi to him. I got (laughs) it. And I was too nervous, man. I was too nervous. I waited for the second day to say hi to you. And you were so kind, and you've been kind to me ever since. I'm grateful for you, man. Yeah, when we met, I remember thinking, oh, like, this dude's content is dope. You were doing... The primarily the vlog style, which you still yeah, crush just vlogging back the then. And I Thank was like, you. man, this dude stuff is so fire, and it's evolved a little bit, but more or mm-hmm. less, you still kind of st- stick true to that to that platform. Uh, what people don't know about you is that you are a church planter, a pastor's yes. kid, a bivocational minister, mm-hmm. uh, a creative, a husband, a father. And very freaking smart. Like you consume a lot of books and a lot of information, and you just just provide really good value on your channel. And so I wanted to honor you, you in that regard. Uh, what really got me excited, and what, we're going to get more into your story, but I really wanted to lead in light of some of the podcasts. And that's where I, I clicked into one of your videos, and I was listening to you react to the Rise yeah. and Fall uh, of Mars Hill podcast, and. You made this point. You 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 make these points where you'll put things that I'm thinking into terms that make sense and have like historical relevancy on their side. Uh-huh. And you made yeah. this point about pathological dualism. Mm-hmm. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, if people knew of this cognitive bias that so many of us have called pathological dualism, so much of our not just our church issues, but I think our world issues, our relational issues, could right. be mitigated. So unpack that a little bit for people who are watching and never heard you talk about that, hadn't seen that stream. Um, what is pathological dualism and, and how does it impact how we see so many different things? Yeah, so uh, it's a coin. It's a phrase coined by Rabbi Jonathan Sachs. And to be honest, I haven't read a ton of his works, but I did come across that phrase that he made and I thought it was so helpful. And his definition is, it's when one side is unimpeachably good and the other side is irreversibly bad. And mm. so we have these categories, these labels that we put on people. 
Um, even within the Christian world, right? We, we put labels even within Christians, let alone yep. us versus the world. And yep. so we enter conversations. We enter dialogue. We, we watch videos and we know, okay, this side is irreversibly bad. So no matter what they say, we're going to find what's wrong with it. We're never going to learn from them. Um, we're just going to use this as an opportunity to dunk on them. And then when your side messes up, they're unimpeachably good. You can't impeach this this guy. He's he's mm. got to be right. Let, let's just look for the best in him. And so you know, it's like why don't we just cling to the gospel? The gospel says as long as you have breath in your lungs, you are not irreversibly bad. It's yes. even worse than that. You're dead spiritually, right? We see that in yep. Ephesians two. But you can have yep. new life in Christ. And it just blows me away how quickly we write people off. Mm. And um, and then the other side is we have these heroes that we try to dress up in celebrity culture. These pastors. And we claim they're unimpeachably good, that everything they do is right. And so then when I say like, and I'm not here to bash on any pastor, I've learned that's just, that's just not my gig. But like, yep. you know, this Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast, I can say within the same breath, I appreciate Mark Driscoll and his ministry during my college years. He gave me a love for the Bible. He gave me an opportunity, kind of the, the permission to be a nerd on stage Yes. You know, to where I can really quote people and not have just one main idea. I can, yep. I can have a lot of thoughts. Um, I thought he did a good job at that. And I knew how to filter him. I knew sometimes I thought, nah, I'm not going to listen to that sermon or whatever. So I can say in the same breath, I'm grateful for him and his ministry. On the other side, I am horrified by the damage that has happened because of some of the ways that he operated in leadership, some of the things he did behind the scenes. And it is unbelievable how hard it is for us to say that statement together. Mm. Um, to me, it's easy, you know, yeah. I, I can just, yeah. you know, some parts are truth and some parts are not. Yep. Um, yep. yeah, I think, I think that's a really good point. I see it in politics most mm-hmm. oh, yeah. notably where, uh, you know, the, the, the language from folks on the right is like, oh, they're all, everyone's a communist. Everyone's a totalitarianism. Right. Every, mm-hmm. Right. And then on the left, it's like, they're all white supremacists. Jordan Peterson's a white supremacist. Anyone that yeah. votes Republican is a white supremacist, right? And so we see that in, in politics. We see that in some of the theological camps, right? If you Certainly. are not a thousand-point reformed Calvinist post-millennial, uh, you know, covenantal, you know, fill in a the blank, then you yeah. are you're if you're left of any of those positions, you're a liberal Christian, and that is right. not meant in a complimentary term. Like, that's not meant to right. compliment you. You just are a liberal Christian. and that's You've been a, that's called that a lot lately, Ruslan. I, I have been, I've, I have been <laughs> called that a lot, which I think is ironic because, Trey, from, from my circle and my church mm-hmm. and my community of people who I don't think are, are vastly liberal, they, they are... That I'm the stickler. I'm the theological right. nerd. I'm the conservative right. one. I'm the one that says, nah, bro, you can't, you can't just up and divorce your wife and sleep around. I can't be in fellowship with you. Uh, you know, and then the church walks through church discipline and I'm just like, yeah, I got a first Corinthians five, bro. I gotta, I gotta walk mm-hmm. through it. And, and so it's, so I've, go, I've gone through that. So it's just a really ironic that, uh, that, that, that is, that is a thing. And so it's these labels, right. And it's, yeah. it's, I think it's dangerous because to your point, when you make any side a complete villain or a complete hero, you are just putting up barriers and you right. also are kind of feeding into your own blind spots. I think about, mm-hmm. uh, I think about where we are with regards to church and church right now, 
right? Mm-hmm. And you made the point of like, there's certain people that like, man, they're just heroes and they're they're just the best. And they're always, right? And then right. there's just villains. And I don't think either of, we're either. I think we're, and both. I think there are times where we're very heroic. And I think there are times where we're not good. And we're not yeah. good leaders. And we have issues. And I think there are times where we're the victim. And we, you know, we mess up. And, and, and we play the victim role. So I think right. we are all on the spectrum uh, in, in our life, depending on where we are, what moment we're in. And so I think it's interesting that society, culture, wants to pick out someone and make them, like you said, irredeemably good, irredeemably bad. And and mm-hmm. what, what, the, the most frustrating thing to me is I think I've been following Jesus long enough to understand how my dogma and my bias can be unhelpful at times. And so I try to keep that in check and, and, and maintain yeah. a faith built on the essentials. It's frustrating when you see people a lot of times that either aren't Christians or maybe they were evangelicals and now they've, de- you know, they're whatever they are now, exhibit the same degree of dogma. So at one right. point they were Absolutely. super radical fundamentalists and now they're super anti fundamentalists, but not realizing you just repackaged your own fundamentalism. You just repackaged exactly. your dogmas as anti dogma, but it's still dogma. It's still right. unhelpful. It's still unhealthy. And I think I'm seeing that. So when you communicated that, and that's exactly how I felt about the podcast series. It's like, I've met, I've met him before. He's always Mm -hmm. been polite and gracious with me. uh, Always Mm -hmm. been kind. I've gleaned some really useful things from him. And I've, yeah, there's some things that I probably disagree with him on, but to paint him as one way. And I think that whole thing is a mirror onto the church. I think that's really, it's something in us that wants to build up celebrities, build up people who we can platform and then when they misbehave or they fall short or they make mistakes or they sin, we blame them. And it's like, fam, no, we wanted these we guys. Put like, them up we, there. Yeah, we put them up there. And, yeah. and there's seldom responsibility in it to say, what is it in us as a Christian culture where we need Christian influencers? Where we, it's almost like we need someone to do the thinking for us. We need right. someone to do the Holy Spirit conviction for us. What, what do you think that is? Like, why do you think we're so obsessed with celebrity and with people kind of figuring out our convictions for us? What does Ruslan have to say about secular music? What does Trey have to say about Calvinism? What Right? Like, what, yeah. what Bible translation does Jason Mayfield think is best? Like, what is that? Like, what is that inside of us? Oh, man, there's so much there. So I think Mike Cosper actually brought this in the latest episode. Um, if you look at Charles Taylor's A Secular Age, and he talks about how we have tried to shut out the divine. We tried to live in this imminent frame, but celebrities are the last thing we have that are like gods in this culture. Mm-hmm. So it's the last yeah. thing we have that's like a spiritual leader to like a hero, a, a, you know, lowercase g God. And so even us as Christians, we so we're, we're created to be, you know, spiritual. Um, and I've yeah. talked about this on the, on this channel before with you. Um, and, and so because we so suppress that and we're like, there's no rituals, there's nothing, you know, it's all just, you know, we just so strip everything of its spirituality uh, we we have to look to get it somewhere. And of course, Jesus is our only hero. Um, but I just feel like we have that temptation to put it on somebody. And and it is strange. It, it is strange how much, I just think it's just straight up laziness. You know, like, hey, mm. you tell me what to think. It's just straight up lazy. I don't know how else to put it. Um, we're just trying to have people fight battles for us. And uh, it's not helping us. It's not helping us in our sanctification. It's certainly not helping us in our witness. It's causing a lot of damage to the church, and it really frustrates me, right? And and I think, too, 
is this whole conversation requires so much nuance that doesn't make headlines, that doesn't get clicks. I I have put so much stinking work into my YouTube channel, but you know, uh, people are always shocked. They're like, how, wow, you have like no subscribers. I'm like, thanks, appreciate it, man. You know, as I'm sweating <laughs> over here producing all these videos. And but part of it is like I just I can't get myself to play the game of mm. of you know being hyperbolic and being tribal. And I I'm grateful for you, man. I think you've done it the right way, and I, I think you're awesome for how you're doing it. Um, I think God just has a special anointing on you, and and you deserve all that you're getting. You're about to hit 100k, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, I think it's so much easier. Uh, David Brooks he wrote this book called Second Mountain, really helpful book. And in it, he talks about tribalism, like tribes versus community. And he says, tribes are formed around a mutual hate and community is formed around mutual love. And wow. hate just spreads a, we, so oh, much faster. Oh, we, can't, we can't brush over that. Say that <laughs> one more time. Say that one yeah, more time. Yeah, this isn't me. This is David Brooks. But he essentially says, tribalism is formed around a mutual hatred and mm. community is formed around a mutual love. And hatred is so much easier, right? It doesn't require vulnerability from us. It immediately makes us feel like we're right and they're wrong. Mm -hmm. And so even churches, and I found that interesting on this podcast. I don't want to keep coming back to the podcast, but it's interesting how they said everything they did was like reactionary. Like we do it this way, even though everyone else does it another way. You Mm -hmm. know, it was like this tribe, like we're better than everyone else. Mm -hmm. And the reality is if you want to grow a church, if you want to grow a channel, you pit yourself like that. You say we're better than them. And that's why you have these labels and it's self-serving because you start to grow. And we're in a culture today that says growth is the number one goal. Mm. And and so, wow, if that means I got more subscribers, I got more people coming into my church, my budget is bigger, God is blessing it. And that's the biggest, scariest thing I've been hearing from this podcast. Just because it's growing, that doesn't, you know, that's not the tell-all of what's happening. And yeah. so we have to have a better measure marker here. And I think for us, for our church, our measure is to become a people of love. And that's much harder to, to have metrics around. Um, but I do think you have a lot less people hurt along the way when love is the measure of what you're doing. Um, so that that's really big. And I would even say this too, um, another random thought, this doesn't perfectly go with what we were just talking about. But I, but I fear, you know, when I talk about pathological dualism with people, I'm trying to write a book, it's almost done, and I have a chapter on this. I came up with another phrase. So pathological dualism is this over-the-top, one side is, you know, God, the other side is evil, but for everybody. And it's like, no, you know, like there is God and there's evil, but um, some things like every, all of us are a mixed bag, right? I don't need to redefine that. I already talked about that. But I think the temptation we have is to not be pathological, not to engage in pathological dualism. Um, we now engage in, ap- this is my phrase, apathetical deism, which in other mm-hmm. words, I think a lot of us, we're just apathetic. We're lazy, like you just mm-hmm. said. Instead of actually engaging in this tribal war, we think the only other option is to not care. Deism mm-hmm. is this belief that God created the world and doesn't care, just lets it go. And so a lot of us, too, we're being mad at those who are engaging in pathological dualism and being so hateful. But some of us, we need to hate, like we need to be more engaged. We need to be more mm-hmm. passionate, yeah. but just in the right way, right? And so some of us, we're apathetical. We can just care less about all these problems. And I think with theology, that's been a, a big check in my spirit because I get so tired of people fighting over Calvinism and this and that. But we do need to have healthy dialogue about yes. doctrine. We do yes. still need to wrestle with these things. This makes mm-hmm. us closer to Jesus. This, this helps us. This humbles us. It sanctifies us. So the answer is not just to stop the battle, but our, our war is not against flesh and blood. Yes. And that's what we got to figure out. 
Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. And when when you say all of that, I, I, I think I think in my own, you know, channel and the growth or whatever, I I do feel that like really real temptation to be like. Let me just make a bunch of videos dunking on legalistic people and fundamentalists right. and like that is you know that's like or the other extreme. Let me make a bunch of videos dunking on progressive Christians who you know have de- de- deconstructed it to the point where it's not even Christianity anymore. And I'm really right. wrestling with like, man, do I do do, do I want to make content like that, right? Or it's hard. Do I do I want to make the type of content where I had um. I had my buddy Preston call me the other day, and he, we were talking mm-hmm. about. Uh, he called me about my interview with Brenda from God Is Gray, and he said, okay. "Man, I just I just want to call you, bro, and just tell, just commend you for how you treated that sister." He said the yeah. way you spoke to her, even though you disagreed, he was like was very kind, was very gracious, and that was really good. And I was like, "Man, that's really cool to hear that." And the the tough part with that is you have to have a bias for someone personally. Like you have to like like some somebody got to be likable in order for you to have them come on and be compassionate and gracious, even though you strongly disagree with their conclusions right. for mm-hmm. two three hours, and and it's and it's exhausting. Like it's exhausting oh, trying to have these like tightrope conversations where I'm like, man, I, I I disagree with this person on some really essential things. However, I'm going to be gracious. And not just trample on them every every in I get, and so. Be, but you but talk you're right. with them, not talk about them. I think that's the yes. biggest difference. I think yes. that's so healthy. If you're talking with them, that's I feel like that's game and that's good. Um, but always making videos where it's just about them and you never let them re- respond. Right. That's right. when it can get really hurtful and and doesn't really advance the kingdom for sure. Yeah, man. I think I think you're totally right. So, so we're in this. We're in this fragile place, it seems like, with, you know, neo-evangelicalism. Because I think evangelicalism, conflated term, it's very confusing. Because you don't know if we're talking, you know, Jerry Falwell, Bob Jones vibes, or are we Mm -hmm. talking Trey Van Camp, Bruce Lund, Von Sanders, Pastor Ray Dockery vibes. Like, it's such a conflated term, right? Absolutely. Who we're talking to. So I just say neo-evangelicalism in the traditions of the Billy Billy Grahams, in the traditions of that line of thinking. I would say even in the traditions of the C.S. Lewis. You know, like like thoughtful Christians who aren't Mm -hmm. afraid of society, aren't afraid of culture, aren't afraid of technology, aren't afraid of music. Uh, who love Jesus but want to impact this generation? You have been preaching for a very long time, and you started very early. And you are kind of in an interesting place where your church didn't grow at the rate that you may have thought it was going right. to. Right? right. You, you you maybe thought you were be a little bit further along. Totally. But it sounds like when you talk about this kind of being coined, like oh, he's going to be the next Billy Graham or whatever. Uh-huh. It uh, it it also sounds like you kind of value that God didn't explode your ministry when you were in your mid-20s. Because that's when a lot of these guys plan churches. They're 26, 27, 28 years old. I was 23 when we launched. Yeah, Yeah, wow. Can you believe that? That's wild, man. They gave me money to start a church at 23. (laughs) Were you married already? Were you married at 23? (laughs) Yeah, I got married at 21. Dude, I got ahead of life quickly, man. Wow. Yeah, so that's why I'm kind of an old soul at 29. I started fast. So I started preaching at 16. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tell and, me, and tell me about that. Like, 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 like. Let's unpack that. Tell yeah, me. I'd love to talk. Tell about me that. planning a church at twenty three, and mm-hmm. it not really 
popping off like that for a while, you right. know, and and, and, right. and what did that do to your ego? But in hindsight, what is what did, what did that do to your character? Yes. And I actually think you can speak a lot into this uh, as well. I was thinking about this today, actually. So I am grateful for the way God has grown my ministry. And I haven't always been able to say that. So I started preaching at 16. I was like the guy on magazines in Arizona, you know, like this is a 16 year old. He can preach. This is incredible. He's a fourth generation pastor. I went almost full ride to CBU because of kind of that aura, because of that Mm. reputation. Mm. Um, I even had professors saying, hey, you want to split? I'm preaching. You want to split preach with me? While I was 19, they were willing to put give me pulpit time at their church. And I just thought, man, I'm just going to be, you know, going to the top. In fact, right when I graduated college, I was like, okay, God, what do I do? So I was married for a year at that point. And so me and my wife were praying and and thinking through what's the next, because I had a lot of options. And among them was, uh, I almost became Rick Warren's assistant. So it was, it was essentially like his ministry wife where Mm -hmm. I would travel with him. I'd help him with sermon prep, everything. Uh, and they were like, this is great for you. You'll get to meet everybody. You'll meet the president, you know, all this stuff. And there, and, and so I prayed about it and I talked to my wife and she's like, what do you really want to do? What is God calling you to do? And I was like, oh my gosh, I think God's calling me to go back home and plant a church. And she's like, mm. yeah, that, I've been waiting for you to recognize that. That's what God's <laughs> told me. So we did that. So I went back um, at 21. I did an apprenticeship. I helped my dad's church for two years and then we launched. And I was just shocked at how slow of a grind it was. I say that and I'm grateful now because of the four other church planners with me uh, that I was really close with that are kind of around this area. Uh, two of them um, no longer have a church plant. And mm. uh, so it's just me and one other guy. So it's a 50% rate so far. We're five and a half years in. And so I just took a sabbatical um, in July and I really did think through that. How can, let me look at my last five years. Mm-hmm. And I have just always been frustrated with God because when you talk to people, people always say, you should have more, to me, you should have more subscribers. You should have mm. more people at your church. You should have, you should this. <laughs> and, you know, like the first few times it's a compliment. Yeah. And then it's like, just stop telling me because yeah. I know and I don't yeah, know what I'm helpful. doing wrong. Like I, I know. <laughs> and then hearing this, like Josh Harris in that podcast talking about like he was just at 18, became a bestseller. And, you know, he became a part of the the evangelical, whatever they call it, you know, the, the big Eva um, and, and kind of producing all of his stuff. I am super grateful now, a long story short, I am super grateful because my character is so much better than what I was five and a half years ago. And I think success could have never taught me what suffering did. And, and here's the biggest difference, Ruslan. I think I have a word for you. Um, I think the biggest difference is when I started, my primary calling for ministry was greatness Mm. But now my primary calling for ministry is goodness. Ooh, that's good. So if my primary calling is greatness, it can lead to so much ego. It can lead to stomping over people. It can lead to being all about me, right? And some people are great. And some people with 10 talents, they're just great, man. But what if I'm the five-talent guy? And if yeah. I'm a five-talent guy and I'm striving for greatness, I'll never reach it. And then I'm not going to be grateful for all the gifts God has given me. But if goodness is the goal, that means the primary goal is is love and to care and to Mm. take people when people are hurt. Let's examine. I'm ready to repent every step of the way. Yeah. And it's a beautiful thing. So that's actually I'm reading this book. I actually finished it. A church called Tove. Tove literally means goodness. So it's all about how to form a goodness culture. 
And I realized that's what God was forming within my own heart, a goodness yeah. culture. Yeah. And, and I say this, and my church isn't huge now, so I don't know how long of a journey this is. Um, but I am so grateful because I don't know, man. I think the and, and I here's the biggest thing that I'm grateful for. And if you're in your 20s especially, let me speak into you here. Don't care about how many follow you. Don't care about the, the quantity, yeah. but the quality of people who follow you. That is huge. So, like, I'm reminded, I have a guy like Ruslan in my corner. That's mm-hmm. incredible. I have yeah. guys like, you know, professors from CBU that still call me and, and, and ask for my input on things. Yeah. I just, I have some incredible people. Sean Cannell, you know, is in my corner. Yeah. Um, and those are just people, you know, that maybe your channel would know, but so many people I know Brady Shearer has given me so many shout outs and helped me. Mm-hmm. I literally, the only way I grow my channel is shout outs. That's just how bad I am with tagging and titling and everything else. Um, but I'm so grateful because the people who do try to help lift me up, I look up to them so much and I'm so grateful for that. And I think what a great way to spend your twenties where you're able to be in obscurity, but you do know people who are ahead of the journey, they see it in you. And that's been encouraging for me to keep pressing forward. There's a concept in discussed in that podcast about founders myths and Mm -hmm. about changing Mm -hmm. demographics that a lot of times lead people to think that the reason their ministries, their churches are successful is because of them or because of the anointing on them. When a lot of times it's changing demographics, it's, planting mm-hmm. a church in a urban area and urbanization and all happens of a sudden and it blew goes up back and it blows right. up or Rick Warren's example he goes to Orange County right as Orange County was one of the fastest growing counties in the country he knew that was mm-hmm. happening he was doing his research moves to Southern California yeah. at the right time in the right community with the right aesthetic and some of that is calculated some of it is not and then which and then and then the 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 part that can really uh, just torment one soul, man, is when you start comparing and you start looking at other people, right? Oh, yeah. And so even 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 where I'm at, like, oh, I'm almost at 100,000 subscribers or whatever, whatever. You now I'm have looking, a whole set of people to compare to now, right? I'm looking at Alan Parr. Um, mm-hmm. I'm looking at, right? And, and I'm like, bro, and, and, and God, like, really had to humble me, like, bro. Like you've you've been doing this a year, like like seriously been doing this a year, and yeah. you're looking at Alan Parr, who's been doing this for ten years consistently. Mm-hmm. I think is a substantially better YouTuber than me in terms of just the way he's able to package his videos, communicate his videos, thumbnails, titles, everything. And and I'm like, oh man, like a million subscribers. I would love to have a million subscribers, and I think I could someday. Mm-hmm. But to your point, I think I'm more consumed now with the quality and the connection and, mm-hmm. and, and, and not, and not building a cult of personality and helping yeah. platform other voices and other leaders and other thought leaders so that we goodness over greatness, like you said. And, and, and I, and I actually believe that uh, it's, it's a win-win because I think that'll force me to build the infrastructure out properly of doing yeah. challenges, of doing merchandising, of doing digital products, of doing events. It'll force me to, to, to have to hit my financial goals differently than just like, I'm just going to ride the wave of being this massive YouTuber with a ton of momentum. Uh, because that, for a lot of people, man, too much growth, too fast in a YouTube space, in a creative space... Is, yeah. Isn't good, man. I, I don't right. know of a lot of people, especially 
faith faith people, and I don't mean just Christian YouTubers. I mean people who are Christians and YouTubers or right. who are full-on Christian YouTubers. I don't know of a ton of people who grow really fast and, and start hitting those, those thresholds where they're, you know— a lot of demand on their schedule. Now they're traveling all over the country. Now there's more money than they've ever imagined. You're making a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand a month. Like when Crazy. you start getting into that ballpark, that's a different level of responsibility that right. you may not be equipped to handle, right? And so I think of like my buddy, the professor, um, who does really well. Five million Which subscribers. Which is so cool that that's best. your buddy. I mean, that yeah. was my hero growing up, man. <laughs> I was Mr. And One in elementary school. It's all I ever wore. And then I went to yeah. Jordan's, which is way better. But, you know, whatever. That's so cool. Yeah. But anyways. <laughs> yeah. So so he he's, you know, kind of shared some of the numbers he's made and how well he's done. And, and, and he, he does really well. But what for him is that took 15 years. That took 15 and years. And for you, too. You just said yeah. one year. But, man, you've been in the, the music industry for a long right. time. Right, right, and right, so right. you for a long time, everybody was like, "Oh, Lecrae and KB yep. and all these guys," yep. and you're like, "You're you're rocking with them. They knew you, yep. you know, but you weren't you weren't the headliner yet." Yeah, you know. Yeah, well, and so well, I listen, think people forget that about you. Yeah, the 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 very reasons why I wasn't a headliner are the very reasons I believe that I'm healthy now, because. Mm. They there was on their part they'll 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 be frank about it and you you can watch my Lecrae interview there was compromise that happened not right. m- like morally but in the way they built their businesses out in the type of festivals they did in the type of uh, opportunities they took that they wouldn't have done in hindsight and then it, they got this polarized audience and then when they say anything that's slightly mm. out of what this audience wants to hear. You know, they, they, they people come down on them really hard, and then you got new people flooding in, and the new people are like, "Like, what is going on here?" Like, so you got new people, non Christians, right? Yep. Maybe Christians that aren't evangelicals. There may be the international Christians, right? So it's not the same, and uh, and and that's that is that also comes with a cost that I think people don't quite understand. You know, is is that man? This stuff, this stuff all comes with a cost that most of us aren't really aren't really considering when we're building out these platforms, man. So Right. Um, God is working on our hearts to where we I feel like in his grace, he gives us what he gives us, he can only give us how am I trying trying to phrase this? The question I keep asking myself is can you handle the harvest mm-hmm. and can you handle the hostility? Mm. And those go hand in hand. You know, and so the harvest brings hostility. Us as men, we're so excited about the harvest. Let's just grow these things. But now you gotta gather. Now the real work has begun, right? And now there will be people who are envious and jealous and try to tear you down. And so I have actually been super grateful for my years of obscurity, if you want to put it that way. And it's funny because I have people on my Patreon, they're like, you're obscure. What are you talking about? You know, like, I wish I was Trey Van Camp, you know, and it's just funny. There's so many different levels to this. Yes, yes. I Um, wish I had 6,000 subscribers, you know. Right, right. I wish I was in that spot. Yeah, and I think think that's – that's yeah again it's 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 interesting so i want to i want to talk to you about what i think you're doing well which is one slow growth good growth steady growth two okay. church i think i think what you're doing could be uh, a model for the future of church right so there's different models like i'm i'm very can you um, tell me what i'm not doing well or would that be after I need <laughs> sure. I'll tell you offline what you're not doing well. Okay, uh, I'll tell you offline. So uh, I actually can't think of anything. So that's not don't don't don't, don't internalize yeah. that. And be like oh, is this talk coming? I what is this talk? It. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I can't think of anything right now. But 
I think of guys who are doing it well. So you know Jeff. Uh, I think you met Jeff at the same conference that we were at with Sean Cannell. Love He's Jeff. doing Rhythm Church. Solid yeah. dude. Loves Jesus. Communicating well. Small church. Great couple dude. hundred people. Right? Um, I think of you. I think of what you're doing. I think of Kirk Kennedy, who j- I just had on the channel, Reformed Brother, who has a church in yes. D.C. Solid rock mm-hmm. church. Solid dude. Loves Jesus. Majors on the majors. Uh Fellowships with people that aren't reformed. Shout out to him, right, for doing <laughs> for doing that. Um, yeah. I even think of guys like uh, Pastor Rich Wilkinson, who is a celebrity mm-hmm. pastor, who is a part of a mega church, who is in these circles, yet hasn't been taking a salary, drives a minivan, right, lives in the same house, right on. lives a very quiet life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, I, I think this year or next year he may start taking a salary. Right. So I think there's like these different, (laughs) which he totally deserves. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think there's these different models of like, cool, man, God blessed you with celebrity because of a reality TV show and whatever. And you can make your money other ways through books and you don't charge your church. And now your church is fiscally stable because they don't got to pay their their pastor. And I said, like, like I was talking and my buddy told me their percentages and they spend such a small percentage on staffing at Vu Church, right? And I'm like, man, that could be a model. Like if, if a guy like yeah. Alan Parr, who's already financially independent, plants a church, that looks mm-hmm. really different than the church planter who needs funding and needs support, right? So I think there's these different models totally. and different solutions to where I think the church can go, right? So yeah. I, I wanted you to talk about like what what are you doing in your local church? Still, still, you know, five years in, but it's still a, it's still a smaller church church plant. You've shared your budget with me. Uh, it's not a massive. It's better budget. this year, man. It's, it's better this year. Better. Praise God. Praise God. So talk <laughs> talk about your church and what are some of the things that you are doing intentionally to be a part of the solution. Yeah, that's a great question, man. I'm so grateful because most people interview me just to talk about YouTube, but it's like I'm on YouTube to talk about other things, you know. And <laughs> the church is like my, my passion. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so our vision statement, and sometimes it's a little wordy or whatever, but we really, really harp on it. There's these four ideas that we really want to make sure that we're focusing on as a church. And so it's passionately pursuing the life and lifestyle of Christ in Queen Creek. And so passionately pursuing something that's been a huge light bulb for our people is to talk about how there's stages to the Christian life. And so we really dip into people throughout church history. We look at people outside of our theological tribe. So I'm Southern Baptist, um, but we really dig into people like St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila. My spiritual uh, father, uh, my my spiritual director is uh, Thomas Ashbrook. He has a great book called Mansions of the Heart. And so we talk about how really at its, at its ground zero, there's at least four stages to the Christian life. And typically, a lot of us get so disheartened in this Christian life because we think all it is is to get saved and now serve. And that's it. Mm. You know, like get saved and serve and try to get more people saved. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like those those bad MLMs where like the whole point is just to get more people. We don't know what you're, we're getting you into, yeah. but like life is better if we get more. So let's just yep. keep bringing more people in. And so there's this hollowness inside. And so we really try to examine um, like the first half of life versus the second half of life. And it's really brought a, li- brought a lot of hope to our congregants who are older in the faith. Even last night I preached and it was about spiritual fathers and mothers and how desperate we need more than just biological fathers and mothers. We need spiritual fathers and mothers. And so I try to lay out what does it look like for you guys to father and mother our congregation. And so this pursuit part is just to constantly remind our people 
It's not about the next stage. It's always, it's always about the next step. What is God calling you today? And so, you know, the Christian life, uh, another phrase we use often that's helpful to our people, um, trying to behave like Jesus leads to death, but mm. training to become like Jesus leads to life. That's and good. so trying versus training. So if you hear a sermon, okay, now you got to run a marathon tomorrow. You get up, you try to run a marathon, you're going to fail, you know, and yeah. the Christian life is a marathon and it's not about run the whole thing tomorrow for you. Let's father you. Let's mother you and go, okay, where are you at in this journey of life? Where's your responsibility level? What's your next step? Maybe for you, it's just to not be on the couch tomorrow and praise God. God has so much grace for you. You were just off the couch. Others of you is to run a half mile and you know, I can continue, but the point is it's not about just achieving, you know, um, but it's just this next step. And so we try to offer a lot of grace there. And we talk a lot about spiritual formation Mm. Uh, with that. And then we're pursuing what? Life in Christ. And so, of course, it's what people would call the gospel. Um, it's forgiveness. It's it's Amen. mercy. So we in our congregation, I mean, in our area, we have a lot of people who are Mormon, LDS. And so it's very, very natural for us to get into this earning mentality with God, mm. earning favor from him, um, trying to win God's approval. And a lot of it is because a lot of us have been fathered that way. It's a father yeah. wound. We have been yeah. trained to perform for our fathers. And if we perform well enough, then they'll love us. And so we try to just, we just preach through books of the Bible and we're just trying to show, okay, it's about grace. And I love Dallas Willard. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. It is opposed to earning. Yeah. That is a game changer yes. if you can really figure that out. And so that's why with the lifestyle of Christ, is, okay, the gospel is not just crucifixion, death, resurrection. It's his whole... Oh. Did Trey freeze? Oh, man. Guys, if you're watching this live, you're finding it valuable, give us a like for the algorithm. We're going to get Trey back in. He froze up on us. Let me see. Let me see if I could... Uh, I'm going to kick him out and let him call back in. Um, if you're watching this live, you're finding this conversation valuable, uh, please do, please do call back in. Uh, hopefully it's not his internet. That was a, man, that was good. He was on a, he was flowing. He was flowing. He was flowing. Okay, let me see. Let me see if I get him back in here. Okay, here we go. Oh, man, you were flowing. You had the Dallas Willard quote. Okay, you're muted, back. though. Okay, I don't know you're what back. You're back. Okay. Oh, it's all right. Good. Go for it. Yeah. So a life, a game changer for a lot of our people is to talk about the lifestyle of Christ. So the gospel is, uh, you know, it's not just the crucifixion and the resurrection. It's his whole yes. life and we are yes. called to emulate it. So we're called to read the gospels as a biography and how do we live his life? And so how we try to help our people with the lifestyle part is God time, gather time, group time, go time. So we're constantly mm-hmm. saying, what is your next step in each category? Right. And so with your God time. And so we try to tell our people, for example, it's not necessarily even about a reading plan. What's more helpful is a reading pace. So we tell our people start 10 minutes a day. Mm. And here's what's great. You might finish three chapters. You might finish three verses. That's fine. The point is you gave 10 minutes to God Amen. and, and time with God is never wasted. Right. And so it's we're doing the reading pace rather than the plan because we're so achieving oriented. We're trying yeah. to please God. So we just run through it rather than sit in his presence. And of course, we hope that they increase that time, but you got to start somewhere. And then gather time. You know, I think, I'm sorry, but I think there's still, there needs to be an emphasis about physically gathering when you can and when you have the health too and all of that. Yep. Yep. But man, even we were talking about spiritual fathers yesterday. The reality is there's a, there's a generation 
of, of people in my church, they're not on social media often, if at all. Maybe that's enough of a reason for us to get off our butts and go to church because we need to meet those people and love on them and have them love us and learn from them, right? And so you would never, like especially the algorithms today, they make you find like-minded people. Well, you need to be around people who are not like you. Yeah. And yeah, so the fact. church is a great place to do that where you gather and you worship along people. Am I, am I choppy again? Am I good? I think you're good. Okay, cool. Yeah, so God time, gather time. I don't, I'm sorry if I'm way too long-winded here. Um, group time, you know, just the typical growth groups model. In fact, uh, we, we took a lot from Larry Osborne where Jeff mm-hmm. was, you know, at, yep, at North yep, Coast. Yep, yep. So we do that yep. sermon-based model. And then go time, you know, trying to equip our people to share the gospel. And then, uh, so that's passionately pursuing. There's stages to the Christian life. There, we have a whole, we have a lot of stuff about that. Um, what's interesting is the first half of the, of the Christian life, the first half of life in general, us as young people, we, most of us never grow out of this. We spend our whole life, I think this is a Thomas Merton quote, we spend our whole life climbing the ladder of success just to find it's leaning against the wrong wall. <laughs> you know, and so the first half of the Christian life, you think it's all about you. Mm. The second half of the Christian life, you realize the joy is about giving for the sake of others. Come on. You know, and so you need to go through that journey. David yes. Brooks calls it the first mountain. You got to try yeah. to be successful yeah, yeah. in all this. You got to learn those lessons. But life is so much better when it's for others, when it's for God. Anyways, so we talk a lot yeah, about that. It's good. Life in Christ, lifestyle, and then in Queen Creek. So we're trying to figure out what are like the four main areas are, are in Queen Creek that, that need help. And yep. so we're doing a foster parents night out soon just to help. We have a huge foster need, and we're trying to encourage our people to become foster parents. And so the in Queen Creek part is about, okay, let's bring the kingdom here on earth, here in Queen Creek as much as possible. So those are the like kind of quick brief. That's like we're always pushing those four things constantly in yeah. the life of our church. So you mentioned Larry Osborne. Mm-hmm. You mentioned their model. I think one of the, the things I see in church sometimes is that there becomes a cult of personality, one guy doing primarily all the communicating. Yeah. Maybe because he is the best communicator, maybe because he thinks he's the best communicator, maybe because he's the funniest communicator, not the best Bible teacher, who knows. Um, yeah. And it seems like what Larry Osborne, North Coast Church has here, and you know, I have my personal critiques of North Coast Church, but it seems like they've I've done never a good been job. There. Oh, you've never been there? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems no. like they do a good job of co-leadership, co-pastoring, cool. right, with Chris Brown and Larry right. Osborne. And uh, I'm curious, like, what is your structure in terms of elders, deacons? Mm-hmm. What safeguards do you have for accountability? Let's just say God does bless your church, and all of a sudden you you do grow from a couple hundred to a couple thousand in a year or right. two, right? How, what, what checks and balances do you have for your for yourself as a pastor um, so that, you know, you, you're not in a, in a potentially dangerous position? For sure. Um, I definitely think I can totally fall into that. And so the structure we have currently is we are, uh, we have a board, we have elders. So that the elders that teach, because again, the size of our church, uh, we have two elders, it's me and then Pastor Caleb. And so I let him preach about once every six weeks. Um, and then in July, I had other people preach the whole month uh, because I was on sabbatical. Sabbatical was a huge step for, for me. I, I told our church, I don't want us to be a cult of celebrity, even though I don't think we're anywhere near that. But just in yeah. case, yeah. I don't yeah. need to be here for a month. And, and honestly, what I needed is they needed to know that they don't need me and I needed to know that I don't need them. 
Come on. Um, and so my identity was way too wrapped up when it was a good, when it was a lot of uh, attendance was high. I was happy on Monday. When it was low, I was sad on Monday. I said, this is not the way of Jesus. This is not emotional maturity. This is not what God has called me to do. And so that's why I actually took a sabbatical. Um, and I'm not saying I'm perfect now, but it was a really helpful process for me. Uh, but I, we have deacons. And so what we have in our current structure is we have a board that we actually submit to uh, that is actually at my father's church because their board, their church is larger. And so these are people who make good financial decisions. So we currently mm-hmm. submit to them anything over $800. I have to send it their way, get their approval and move forward. We're in the okay. process of we think we're far enough and we have enough wise counsel to where we're going to have our own board, but that's the next step. What we just implemented was deacons. So we have currently uh, four deacons and they have influence. So anytime I make a decision, they we don't take a formal vote, but I submit to, I said, hey, here's the plan. I write it all out. Let's talk. What, what are your reservations here? What are you worried about? And so I'm open to critique. I tell them, I please don't just say yes. I don't want yes men. I don't want yes women. What is your actual opinion here? Because it'll be our congregate opinion, you know? So I need to have an answer. And if I don't have an answer, we need to change. And that literally happened three weeks ago. We were hiring some part-time staff. Two of the deacons said, I'm a little bit worried about this decision. And I said, you know what? Wow, you're right. Okay, we'll change it right now. And we changed the whole structure. And so uh, two weeks ago too, let no, I need to be more vague in case my church members are listening. Uh, you know, <laughs> let's just say uh, recently a, a guy came up to me and he said, hey, man, I just noticed that you uh, you kind of wrote off this 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 guy. And, and I did not like how you handled the situation. And I was like, wow, you were so right. And yeah. so that that moment, I said, I'm going to call him right now. And I made it right. And um, and he reached out to me the next day and said, I'm so thankful because I thought I've had this kind of conversation with pastors before, and it, it I you I was terrified because I've been so, um, you know, kind of punished for bringing uh, up like, hey, yeah, I yeah. think what you did was wrong. Yeah. But I've been on the other. I've seen ministry enough, being fourth generation pastor and just being raised around all sorts of ministry leaders. Like, I really want to be open to rebuke, and I'm not yes. saying I'm always, but those are just some past examples. Even my church members, as a Southern Baptist, we have a lot of power in the congregants. We believe. Yeah. You know, they have the right to fire me as well. Um, it's a little bit harder, but they can do that. And so it's like, you know what? You're right. And so what I have found, it's amazing. It really relieves the pressure when I really say, I don't have it all figured out. Here's what I think is best, but I'm willing to, to hear what you, what's your perspective. Now, there are times, though, you have to be the strong leader and say, okay, I know this is what you're worried about, but there's also context you're not, you don't know about, and this is the direction we are going. Yeah. Um, so you can't just be a pushover, uh, but... I, Dr. Crawford Loritz, he said that people from 20 to 40, their primary way they lead is through learning. Mm. From 40 to 60, they lead by leveraging. And from 60 to 80, they lead by leaving. And so I'm in this posture now where I'm leading people, but through the posture of learning. And I want to hear from everybody's perspective. And Mm. I know that I don't have this all figured out. And so I think it gives our people a ton of confidence. Like there's a reason I quote authors all the time. Because yeah. I'm saying, like, I'm learning from people. I'm I'm not saying I have this figured out. I'm not making this stuff up. I So hopefully it inspires my people to never stop learning, right, and to constantly hear from other different resources. Yes. And so, yeah, so it's elder. Uh, we have a board, financial decisions. Our elders help make the direction of the vision and our uh, Bible teaching and what we're doing as far as ministry. Deacons, they're doing great for the servanthood, you know, serving our church, but also keeping me in check. They have a lot of influence. We're on a text. Yeah. We text once a week. 
Yeah. And yeah, and I'm open to the congregation. So I pray for every single member every week. Not every day, but I do make sure every single member and, and visitor of our church is being prayed over every week by me. I just think that's really helpful because it humanizes them. It's easy to on, begin. On a Sunday morning or like in your private time, private, private prayer time? Oh, yeah, private prayers. Yeah. Okay, okay, so okay, just I, um, like, I go on prayer work? walks. If there's, 100, if there's 100 people there and you're like, we're praying for everybody today. Oh, no, Come no, no, on no, no, up. No. And, yeah, uh, just my private prayer time. Um, so I just use Quizlet and they're all flashcards and I just make sure to pray for them. And I sometimes yeah. worry about sharing that. Um, yeah. you know, cause you know, do things in secret and stuff, but I do hope there's pastors out there going, Oh my gosh, you're right. I, why aren't I praying for my people every week? Um, it's such a great practice to, to humanize them, to love them and care yes. for them more. Yes. And so, yeah, that's one of my favorite things I do now is to pray for all of our people. So those are some of the, I, I hope I answered your question. That's yeah. kind of how we're rolling right now. So, so elders, you said you have a you said you have an elder board and elders or are those one so we have elders that are part of like vision casting and Bible preaching, which is me and Pastor Caleb because of the size of our church. Okay, we want okay. more people who are on the board who make financial decisions for okay, us. Okay, so that's separate. That's separate. Yes, okay. and then so you they have financially that kind of do the ministry, do on the work the of the ministry. Yeah, that's so cool, man. Um, mm-hmm. That's so dope. Now tell me, are you? Do you guys go through books of the Bible? Do you guys do series? Like, what's a Sunday morning feel like? Yeah, that's good. So now we're Sunday night because of COVID and everything, and so what we're okay. actually telling our people is, and we're hoping this will really. This is kind of taking hold in our church. We really believe in Sabbath. We really believe in resting. And you know what? I really want. I want our people in our church to say, when their kids grow up, not like, oh my gosh, that went like like a blur. Like, oh, I wish I spent more time with them. Like, I really mm. want them to say. We're so excited to send them out. Praise God. Yeah, they're ready yeah, for this. Yeah. And I think dedicating 24 hours on the weekend just to spend time with family, to spend time with the Lord, to stop working, stop wanting, stop worrying. Yeah. So we've been trying to train our people and say, okay, end your Sabbath with us at 5 o'clock Sunday night. And so mm-hmm. by us having church on Sunday night, you have the whole weekend to do something fun. Go up north. For us, it's up north to go to the woods. Go do something fun. Start at Friday night, go there all day Saturday and start coming home Sunday afternoon. You know, like we want to give you that full weekend uh, to spend time with your kids. And so, uh, yeah, but we're Sunday night. Um, But we do uh, we just go through books of the Bible, but we package it differently. So we just finished, for example, First Timothy, uh, which is an incredible book. And actually, the first chapter I titled it Slogans Are Broken. So the okay. series is like each chapter, as long as they kind of fit together, we have a series. So I think I had four series within the book of First Timothy. So I titled it something. So it makes you feel like, oh, we're not in, man, we're in First Timothy 18 weeks in a row. It's like, no, you yeah. feel like this is a new series. It's, you know, because you're, though, you're go, every couple of chapters, you're rebranding the series. Rebranding. Like. But yes, you're going exactly verse by do. verse. You're going right. verse by verse through that book. Correct. Yeah, that's dope, so I, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I brand it so you make it feel like we we went through Luke one time. That's a yeah. long time. Yeah, but we rebranded book. every chapter or two, and so people were, didn't even realize we technically did the same series for a year and a half. You know, wow, that's actually really smart. Yeah, and it keeps it fresh. Um, yeah. Now you're also bivocational, so you yes. do you also work a job as well mm-hmm. as minister full time. Uh, yeah. What are the challenges for that? Talk talk, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, so I technically tri-vocational. I help with concrete, pour concrete with my dad, which is a tough job. Um, we do that together. Even my dad's a pastor too. He does it for his own physical and mental health. I do it to pay the bills. Okay. Uh, so your dad, that. your dad is also a pastor. His church is bigger than yours, I'm assuming. A very successful church, yeah. Very successful yeah. church. Run about 1,000. 
He's about a thousand. Okay, well, I mean that's you know the average church in America is like a hundred people or seventy five people. Or right, something. they say so, seventy five or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So he is a successful pastor, but yet he mm-hmm. pours concrete for his mental and physical health. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And you so he doesn't do it, take just, as much of a salary either. Um, but he it. doesn't. He just he tried. He went full time for two years, and he said, "I will never do this again." He gave really? weight. He was depressed. Wow. And he needed something. When you're in ministry, it's hard to see the results. It's hard to see the growth at times. You know, mm-hmm. the, the, the eternal is the unseen, as Paul says. And so for him, he's like, I need to see a house get built. And so we yeah. would just build houses. And he's like, ah, oh, good. I did something for that day. Yeah. Uh, he's yeah. such a blue collar guy, though. I mean, he'll just work with his hands till the day he yep. dies. So that's totally him. I I could care. I could stop today if my patreon blows up you know what i'm saying so i do that i do patreon where i do youtube you know and we yep. do private zoom calls and stuff yep. Uh, yep. which has really been helpful i paid my mortgage this month which is incredible um so super grateful for that and then yeah i do ministry the hard part um i'm what is hard about it i'm i don't know life outside of it honestly so it's hard and i Thankfully, my dad taught me never to complain. So I don't dwell on the negative. Honestly, it's just like thankful to him. But it's hard because there are times where, you know what, why it's, I want to say why it's helpful. It's helpful to me because I empower others a lot quicker because I know I don't have the time to get this done. It enables me to major in the majors and not care about the minors. You know, it's like, I don't got time to worry about that. Um, And you know what it does? It wins the respect of the community. My community is either blue collar or they live here because they love blue collar. You know, they're mm-hmm. like want to be cowboys kind of thing. And so I think for them, they love the idea that a pastor works with his hands. And I don't know yeah, how healthy yeah. that is, but it does help at times to go, oh, he's just like one of us. Like he also was sweating in 115 degrees this week like I did. And there's just some sort of like mutual bond when you sweat like that in the Arizona heat. And so uh, that's been helpful. But there are times where I just, my sermon, I could have studied more or, you know, I, um, there's been, I, I, I make sure family time is so important. So I, other times I go, Hey man, I can't meet with you this week. I've just been working all day trying to get this done and I just need to be with my family tonight. So I've been, I've missed out on some one-on-ones. I've missed out on my family time at times. Um, mm-hmm. and I've been tired and cranky, uh, <laughs> but God has been so good. It's been sanctifying, man. You know, yeah. it's just been so humbling. Again, when you hear at 16, you're going to be the next, whatever, and then when you look at your life now, like my dad told me this, he said, go to college and then you'll never pour concrete again. I went to college. I graduated <laughs> top of my class and I'm still pouring concrete with you, dad. You're a liar, you know, but it's so helpful. It's so humbling, you know. Um, and so honestly, what I've actually realized is my problem isn't so much humility of like, uh, man, I think I'm so great. Yeah. But, you know, what I actually now battle, am I worthy? Like, mm. why are these people following me? How I can't believe we have this many people at our church. I'm shocked it's not zero. Yeah, those are the yeah. thoughts that I battle with more often. Yeah, and 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 so, how many people are coming on a Sunday morning, or, or or how many members would you say you have that you pray for every week? Yeah, so the membership role that we pray for is like 145. And how many people right show now. up on a Sunday? It would be around that. Um, like last night, I think we had 120. The, okay. the the row rows rolling again, and so we've seen some people kind of stay home a little bit more. Sure. Um, but yeah, that's about yeah. I would say like who call us home, probably like a solid one fifty, one seventy. Okay. We were like constantly and how many, coming, and so people are showing up. Uh, you got. I'm assuming worship is happening. How long is worship? How long is a message? How long is a service? Uh, do you guys have childcare for kids? That, yeah. Those, yeah. So we have. Um, 
we have we always start out with two songs, not always, but generally two songs, and we have somebody from our church come and read the scripture for that that night, and so they read the passage that I'll be preaching from. We do one more song, and then Pastor Caleb gets up and we do a uh, liturgical like prayer together. So we're kind of weird Baptists. I like to infuse other traditions, okay. And so we pray like a prayer of confession or a prayer of giving, uh, and then I go up, I preach. And then we have two more songs in response. And so okay. during that, we always have like communion. You can take communion uh, during Every that Sunday. time. Yeah. Um, okay, with, that's with, cool. With, with the, you know, what do you call it? The vid that has made things a little bit more yeah. difficult. Yes. Um, it used it, for us, it was always every Sunday, uh, before yes. the vid for sure. Yes. That was always yes. an emphasis. And we used to do like only one song in the beginning and four at the end because we're like, you know, worship's about responding to the Bible. Yeah. But then yeah. it was like, they're always missing my intros cause they're not here yet. So let's, let's pad the front a little bit more. Uh, so yeah, that's what we're doing. So we do five songs all together. It's about an hour to hour 15, depending on how long winded I am for that day. That's, that's tight. That's a, that's a short service an hour. Yeah, Man, our services. I mean, that's that's jam packed. Hour fifteen last night. Hour, hour 15, fifteen last night. So. Yeah, I was really impressed when Rhythm Church, Jeff Moore's church out here in Oceanside, when they were outside, and mm. bro, they were pulling off. I'm not exaggerating, like a forty minute. Forty service. minutes, right? That's crazy. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, it was literally like one song announcement. He preaches for twenty five, twenty minutes, sometimes tight, and then man, that's hard uh, to do. And then one song at the end, maybe. And mm-hmm. but what was cool about it was that it was a lot of time for people to kind of linger in between services, That's good. and yep. that community time. And you see people coming from other services, and so they were doing, you know, three services. I think they went indoors now, and so it's a little longer. But it was it was cool, man. And so I, you know, my church now we do. I'm not a big fan of like. 40 minutes of worship, you know, but it's like mm-hmm. a lot of worship on the front end. And it worship is dope. And I We're think more maybe sermon even, heavy. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't mind worship, but see, I always like responding because I feel like yeah. after hearing the word, my heart is just kind of in that place where I can respond. And right. versus like, you're kind of coming in, you just drop the kids off at child totally. care, you, you know, and then you're like, oh, and we do have child right. care. Yes. You have child care. Yeah. Dope. Mm-hmm. And and now you're just kind of like, all right, I guess we're singing now. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so I, yeah, I, sure. I've, I've, I've always kind of told my pastor, like, bro, I think you should come up earlier and respond more. If you want to do worship, like, yeah, just I like that too. Package it towards the end because I think it positions people to respond or give, if you're going to pass the bucket and do offering, do that mm-hmm. towards the end instead of like trying to push all this stuff at the beginning. Um, and then you got an hour and 20 minute hour and 40 minute service like sometime our service times are kind of long so that's gotcha. really cool um man this is this is encouraging this is exactly why i wanted to talk to you trey because i think people uh need to hear from guys like you that aren't just you know rolling in the dough you know <laughs> talking to people anyway you want to talk to you know <laughs> i think people need to hear and you're you're under 30 right i don't remember yeah your i'm age, 29 you're 20, 29 years old. I mm-hmm. would be curious, not to compare you, but how old was Billy Graham when Billy Graham's situation took off? Because I don't think he was. I think he right. was a bit older, you know. Uh, so that's always interesting. When like Tim like, Keller, mm-hmm. he took off till like he was four in his 40s, same as John yeah. Piper. Yeah. And I think yeah. you know people say that's the better way to go. And I'm like, thank you, so. God. And maybe you know, so. like I've learned that. That's what is that? Like God has wired me uniquely. So just to enjoy what that is, 
Um, maybe that's never to blow up. You know, maybe that's yeah. always just to have under 10,000 on, on YouTube. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to learn, okay, God, I just want to be content, but have a holy discontentment. You know what I'm saying? Like yes. to be grateful, but also to have this holy discontentment where I'm still running with vision and I still, you know, I want to change this world. Um, it's a hard balance for sure. Yeah, man. I think, I think it is. I think we don't realize how much of people getting in, get, becoming successful in any career usually happens later in life, right? Mm-hmm. They say most people's income doesn't peak until they're in their 40s and 50s, oh, right? Good. So I think sometimes <laughs> we are like, man, I'm in my yeah. 30s or I'm in my late 20s. And, and if you look at other careers, if you look at law, if you look at doctors, if you look at other things, I mean, most people aren't really, when you're talking about like these high octane, very important people centered careers, it's usually, excuse me, it's usually in your thirties. You know what I'm saying? It's usually mm-hmm. in your thirties where you really kind of catch a groove. Um, True. And I think, and, and I think that could be, that could be deceptive in a social media age where everyone's broadcasting everything. And mm-hmm. you just think like, oh, well, I guess like, I mean, Stephen Furtick is the standard. Judah Smith is the standard. And it's like no right. no shade to those guys, but that they're not. There's way more guys closer to where you are on the spectrum uh, mm-hmm. working their faces off, trying to honor their family, making sure they're Sabbathing, making sure they're doing it the right way than people that are, you know, the, the mega celebrities. And uh, we always like, you know, we and we this has kind of been a theme through our conversation. We always see growth prosperity, money as a blessing. It's not always a blessing. You know, it's, it's not always I a good thing. I love how you constantly talk about that. I think that's so true. Like I, I see where my dad's at and I go, thank you, God, I'm not there. Cause yeah. he can handle it, but I don't think I could. Some of the complaints he gets and some of the things he has to deal with financially, I'm like, God, I love where I'm at. I love Amen. that I sleep well at night. I love that Amen. we're not negative in the bank, even though there's Come not on. much in there. We're Come not, on. we don't owe nobody nothing. Those are all blessings, you Amen. know, and I think when it's goodness over greatness, that's the, oh, okay, I'm yep. very grateful where I'm at because it's not about greatness, it's about goodness, and I'm a much better better husband, father, pastor, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. so I think I that's think so important, if we can just do that unlock, it's about goodness, and what's incredible is a lot of goodness people turn into greatness, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but when your goal is greatness, you might not reach goodness, yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. That's good. All right, uh, this is a good, good segue. Let's jump into some questions. Titus asked this question. I don't know if this is directed at me or you. Can you address belonging before believing when it comes to your members? That's a really good question. Hmm. So as a Baptist, our answer is technically to be a member, you do need to believe in Jesus Christ. But members, you don't have to be a member to come to my church. And that's why when I said I pray for my members, I said, oh, and the people who are just coming around. So we have some people um, that just don't agree with some of what we say, but they just can't. They're still hanging out with us. And so it's like, Mm -hmm. great, man. So you're just you're not going to become a member because we just have these guidelines. But man, come like go to our groups and be a part of this. And so uh, we definitely believe and passionate about you look at the the life of Jesus, he's always, a, you know, it's always, he created an environment, a place to belong before you believe. And so um, I, I do think that there needs to be boundaries and there needs to be standards for what a member is and isn't chiefly to believe in Jesus Christ and to be baptized is what we talk about as Southern Baptists. Um, but man, you can sure hang out with us and rub elbows and we don't really have any expectations on them. Yeah, I think, I think, because 
different churches do membership differently, right? So yeah. you're going to, some churches don't have any type of formal membership. Other churches right. make you sign a freaking blood oath, you know, and it gets really <laughs> yeah. intense. So find it, out your salary and everything, right? right? Make sure right. you're, yeah, that's not us. That, uh, a question, that, that was a question I actually had for you. Where, where are you guys on the salary? Does the average member know what your salary is, or is that something that's only known by, like, deacons and elders and the board? Yeah, it's a great question. So what we always say at the member meeting is our financials are available upon request. Okay. So you can check our budget if you request it, but we don't just air it out there just, like, on the website or anything for anybody to see. But we say if you're a giving member, like, you have the right to know where your money's going. Amen. That's good. I, I think th- th- that's an interesting tension, right? Because I tend to fall on the end of the spectrum where I feel like pastors should be well compensated. And by well compensated, I just mean yeah. enough to where you can buy a home where you live. You can you you can you can um, your kids can go to college, you know, and you can you can have something in retirement. Like I think that and, and that's subjective to what yeah, part of the good. country you live totally. in. Right. So I think, um, you know, I, 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 in California. If everybody knew what my pastor made or if everybody knew what Jeff made, that may be a problem for the 19-year-old who yes. just took a, 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 a online YouTube for university sure. course on Karl Marx. And then they find out their <laughs> pastor is making six figures. and But six and figures, evil, relatively speaking, right. is, in California, is actually not that much money. And in a light right. of like if you have a million-dollar budget or a $700,000 budget um, – so I always think that's that's an interesting tension. But again, respect to guys who are bivocational or in your re- respect, tri-vocational. Because I you know, I Trey, I think I think the beautiful part about that, bro, is I think as your platform grows, and I and I do believe it's gonna grow, and I do believe God's <laughs> gonna bless you with a bigger audience. Um, and I'm not trying to jump into my Jason Mayfield uh, prosperity. Dude, that's bag. a good Shout man right there. But but I but I, but I, but I believe that, and I think you are going to love the fact that when your audience grows on YouTube and your Patreon grows, that you can have the flexibility of not needing to it, yes. to, to to draw as big of a salary. And mm-hmm. I, I think a lot of pastors may miss that because not you, you may feel like, yes. oh, man, it's not moving. But, bro, what you're doing is also entrepreneurial. You're building an audience. You're building a platform. You're building an online yeah. community that is mm-hmm. only that is actually scalable. Like what you're doing is scalable, meaning that Very true. Your, your community could quadruple in the next two, three years. But I'm still doing the same amount of work. Same amount of work. And that I think a lot of pastors don't quite understand how powerful that yeah. is. Because then if we're talking five years from now, you have a million-dollar budget. And you're like, ah, I'm cool. Like, I'll just keep my salary the same. And and that what can what that can do for a community, for benevolence, for the single mothers, I think is is a huge testament for what a local church could be. You know, but it's difficult. It's hard because not yeah. m- most pastors aren't wired like you. Well, we're we have twenty four thousand dollars. We said we need to put this into staff salary. And I said it's not going to me. We need to okay, hire part time guys. Let's let's grow this church. So I'm thinking yeah. the long game. Instead of me just having this money, let's empower these people and say, hey, if this keeps working, we're going to give you some more, you know, and let's grow this church and we're going to get more money. You got to spend money to make money. Um, So, yeah, I totally believe in that. And I really do am passionate about this YouTube taking off. I never want this to be my only job. Uh, I love the local church, uh, but I do want it to help my local church. Um, and I think financially is the biggest way it can can help. Here's my question to you before you have another question answered, Ruslan. The personal question. So I feel like my biggest strength is like vlogging with a vision. What a a subscriber said the other day, you know, like my documentaries, the storytelling. Mm -hmm. 
Do you think I need to still also like what I did the other, like, do you think I still need to go live or do you think I need to go like all in a documentary or do you think I need to stop vlogging? Like, what is your, I, what do you think would help my channel the most? One, I don't know. Okay. So I'm not going to sit okay. here and act like I know <laughs> what's going to work for your channel. I look at it like ROI. Um, mm -hmm. I like your vlog vlogging stuff. I think it's really well done. But honestly, man, like I want to know what Trey thinks about Rise and Fall of Mars Hill because I think gotcha. you are going to talk about stuff in such a humble and kind way that uh, one is just going to demonstrate how we could talk about hard topics. And then two, for your end, it's a, it's an easier ROI. People want to know what you think about certain right. cultural phenomenon, stuff in church, out church. And, and I think God's given you a grace. You, much uh, Trutha as well, he has this, like, you guys got this, like, humble, calm demeanor. Love where Trutha. is isn't, isn't polarizing, and that's mm -hmm. actually a win. Like, that's actually a good thing. Um, and I think I think we need more of that. And so I think there are people that are going to come. And so right now, yes, like, YouTube, social media, who can say the most polarizing? You know, we're going to just smash. Right? But I think that's going to slowly shift because I think we know hmm. where that's gotten us, right? We know where that we... I hope we know so. how, how we are polarized. So, uh, and even if it doesn't shift overnight, I think the slow and steady build of, okay. hey, you know, a couple hundred subscribers a month, it's going to build over time. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I would say I genuinely am curious on what you think so about it. So don't like throw this. out the vlogs. But I wouldn't throw out so, the vlogs. Yeah, okay. I, w I wouldn't throw out the vlogs, but I would double down on that because honestly... This, even though you know I watch your stuff, this conversation probably wouldn't have been ha wouldn't be happening right. if I didn't see your Mars Hill reaction and said, "Oh, bro, he said this and this, and oh gosh, True. forgot how good Trey communicates these things." And man, I want to <laughs> highlight people, right? So yeah. it's because you did that, and I think I, th it. I would keep doing that. I think, and it's okay. easier to make. Like if we're honest, like it's not that difficult for you to make that. Oh, stuff. it's so and, much easier. Yeah, goodness. And, and you, even when you're talking about people you may disagree with, you still do it in such a gracious and humble way that I think it's good. I think that the tricky part, though, will, will be um, setting boundaries with that comment section because you then have to be ready for that. Mm. And so doing things like um, yeah, man. not looking at comments, uh, filtering out you a lot of it. words. Yo, here's uh, the thing, though. I'll say I'm sorry to cut you off, but okay. like local ministry, like I don't want to do. OK, now because I've been so hurt by people that I've lived life with. And like gone to groups with and served and prayed over and when they talk bad about me, the blessing with all of that is YouTube comments I just laugh at, you know, because it's like you don't know me, you don't know my situation, you know, you're just a hurt person. And I know for you, it, it pretty much rolls off your back too, right? Sometimes. I mean, sometimes it rolls off my back when it's not true, when it's so outlandish, mm. right? Like, so yeah, like I'll give yeah, you an yeah, example. Yeah, yeah. Like somebody, let me, uh, let me see if I can cut to this angle. Okay, so you guys see that behind me? Uh, this thing, I don't know where Trey just went, but you guys see that thing behind me, right? So I did a video and someone was like, you see the eyeball? You see the eyeball? Like he's Illuminati. <laughs> right? Oh gosh. Like this yeah. is this morning. And I'm just like, that's a fan. That's, oh, bro. that's yeah. a fan. That's, that's a quiet fan that looks kind of mm -hmm. cool. And people are always asking what it is. So some of those comments are like, oh, that's just, you're, that's just funny. Other comments when people are like attacking you personally and yeah. just uh, 
just saying just nasty toxic stuff. I've you get a, a lot point, of it now, man. Yeah, you I've get gotten so to a point much of it. Where most of it is filtered out, though, because I That's spend cool. when someone says something negative, I go, oh, thank you. Now I'm going to go to my YouTube settings and filter cool. that word out. And so there's thousands of words that are filtered out that more often than not, like when someone's going to use the word woke in my comment section, mm. I know exactly how they're going to use that word. They're not going to use it in an right. encouraging way, right? Yeah. So I just, there's a lot of words that get filtered out. And then uh, I know that when I'm going to open that tab, the held comments tab, I, mm-hmm. I just got, I just got to go in there kind of like, all right, this is probably going to be nasty and come back. Uh, yeah. You know, got it. And, uh, and then that makes it easier to ban people. So there's, I find immense joy in banning tons and tons, <laughs> uh, and me tons too. of people. Yeah. Me so too. that's fun too. So it becomes like a little game to, uh, it, be, it becomes like a little game, but yeah, initially when, when they come for you the first time, when that, when you drop that first video in the comment section, is like negatively, just going for you, it is a bit of a shell shock. I'll just text um, you. Be like, yeah. Do I, at some point, you me. just get used to it. Just you keep get doing used this. To it. Cool. This is a great question. Shout out to uh, Von Sanders. That's my Ministries. boy Von. Can a church be too big? Once you get past a certain number, isn't it hard to really know and serve them? That's a great question. I don't. I don't have the answer for that because I'm not in local church ministry. I don't plan to go back to it uh, in, in a formal setting. But what do you think? Can a church uh, get too big? I think a church can be too big for certain pastors, you know, so it's how has God wired you? Because I, I've been trying to, I've been really wrestling with that question a lot because I think the lazy thing to do as a smaller church pastor at full of envy and like, you know, I, I do this on YouTube too. It's like, I'm better than you. How do, not you, Ruslan, but you know, you see somebody, it's like, how does this guy have five times more subscribers than mm-hmm. I do? You know, so you mm-hmm. start to like, you start to tear them down just to make yeah. yourself feel better. And so I think it's really easy to look at these big, you know, you mentioned Rich Wilkerson and be like, ah, and it's like, well, like he's doing great work, right? I mean, Billy yeah. Graham had so many people and I met, I have met so many people that have been saved and transformed through his ministry, you know, or their dads and all of that. Um, I, what I think is like, for me, here's what I worry about. I really love shepherding. Mm-hmm. I love knowing the names of my congregation. I love cry, Like, I don't, you know, like I love suffering alongside of people. I think that limits my ability to have a larger church. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also like, okay, but what if God kind of rewires me? I actually got a job offer not too long ago to be a church, a pastor of a mega church. And so my, the staff would have been the size of my congregation today. And I thought, well, I would just pastor my staff and my staff would help shepherd that church. So it, it made sense to me. I'll just pray for my staff every day. So it's the same kind of thing. That's good. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't, I, I think, Clearly in the Bible, there is, it doesn't say, here's the right number, here's not. We see thousands were added daily. You do see references of houses. And so I think there's a little bit of everything in between. So I think it really does depend on the pastor. And that's why for that position I got offered, I thought, okay, I don't want to pick this just because it looks better. What, how has God wired me in this season? And so that's why I am where I'm at now, um, because I know it's where God's called me. So as long as it's where God has called you, yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm not going to turn people away from my church. I'm not going to say, no, we're at 300 now, leave. But I do believe in planting. So I do believe in like, hey, we're at a church of 500. Let's launch another one and another Mm -hmm. one. So Mm -hmm. it really depends on the calling. I think we get too uh, dogmatic and we use our calling and we make sure we say, okay, everybody has to have my, I don't believe in a big church. So now everybody can't believe in a big church. Praise God that you don't and rock your small church. But maybe God is called like Charles Spurgeon. Yes. He did incredible stuff with a large yes. church, and yeah. I praise God for him often. Amen. Amen. This interesting question, uh, Shazadrika, she said, have either of you 
ever had to deal with dysfunctional leadership. For example, I have leaders that assume I've backslidden uh, or blackslidden uh, and lost my salvation, but no one actually reaches out. And then she followed up with this comment. I'm mm, super transparent so about where I'm at, not living in sin, but they assume so because I don't fit my church's culture. I'm okay with that. I agree with the vision and honor it, though. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, I have. Uh, not to that degree. I've definitely dealt with dysfunctional leadership. And I think every church is going to have some degree of dysfunctional leadership. I think every family has that dysfunctional family member, right? And so I think even the heart of why I want to have these conversations, I want to explore things that I see that are working and highlight those things. Um, because I think there's always going to be some degree of, of, of somebody being dysfunctional. I have personally... I did earlier on, like early, early, early on, I had some church hurt and I just had stuff happen in ministry. And so now once I went through it again, I was, it's going to sound weird, but I just was almost like used to it. I was, I was expecting it. I was expecting Mm. for my leaders to fail me because I knew that leaders aren't perfect and they are going to fail you. Now, I think the difference is when someone's being manipulative or uh, abusive, that's a difference. See, there's a difference between someone getting on the job training and blowing it because they're 26 planting a church, right? <laughs> that's different than someone that's older and intentionally being abusive and manipulative and trying to control you. Um, yeah. v- very, very different. I, even when I was in ministry and I, I, man, I fumbled a lot. I said something to a friend this weekend that my wife like literally smacked me and was like, don't say that. That is so, why would you say that? That's stupid. I was like, gosh, you're so right. That is stupid. So I've said, so when I was in ministry, I've said stuff that was probably hurtful, but I was, I didn't want to control people. Like I had zero desire to micromanage people. I had zero desire to uh, give people permission on who they could and couldn't date. I could just, I could just see stuff. Oh, this is going to end badly. You dating this person, not going to go well. You ask Mm -hmm. for my counsel. There it is. And then they're, you know, then they get mad at you. And so I think there's also that side. Like every time somebody says something hard, to you or says an uncomfortable truth to you that you can't say that's trauma and they're being abusive. I'm not talking to you specifically. Uh, So I think there's that balance. There's like, what's the intent? What's the impact? Um, And, and can you set boundaries? Can, can you have different expectations? So yes, I have. um, And I just, I just have, I guess more realistic expectations of pastors and leaders Mm -hmm. and know that they're, they're not perfect. You know, they're not perfect. I'm more into what are systems that we can build in church that can mitigate some of this. What are systems that we can build to to minimize some of the damage that's clearly uh, you know being done to a lot of people who are hurt by evangelical culture, deconstructing, deconverting, so on and so forth. Whenever you sit down and talk to them, my experience is that they it, it's seldom an issue with Jesus. It's more of an issue with God's people, the followers of Jesus. And I, and For that's sure. why I'm like, okay, how do we fix that? How do we mitigate that? There's going to be certain things that we, man, we just got to stand on truth and just say, listen, this is what it is. I'm sorry you don't like it, but this is the position our church is going to take on this specific issue. And yes. you, so you don't get to throw out, well, that, uh, now that's trauma. I'm hurt. You're, you know, you're, uh, you're phobic in this area. It's like, and I'm not talking about that specific thing, but. There's just certain things that are going to be hard, whether it's having to tell somebody, bro, you can't divorce your wife because you feel like it. Hey, or hey, you can't live with your boyfriend or girlfriend because you feel like it. Right. We have to take hard stances 
on God's heart and God's ways of doing things. So um, I, I don't know. I see it with more, with, with more nuance. But, yes, I have. And my way I mitigate it is just go, mm. people are crappy sometimes and they make mistakes. And sometimes they make really bad decisions and we need to have better systems to keep them in check. Uh, what, what's your thoughts on that, Trim? No, that's. I think you nailed it. Um, I, I have been on both sides where it was dysfunctional and I was hurt. And I recognize a lot of it was just they were insecure in life and it was their problems that they were heaping upon me. And so you kind of humanize them that way and pray for them. But I have unintentionally, like I tweeted back at you, there was a day where I just, you know, I'm really good friends with somebody, but I didn't text them happy birthday that day. And they left the church. They're like, it's all about, you know, that they're traumatized. The pastor doesn't care for them. It's like, bro, like, okay, that's not trauma. Um, But there is trauma. So that's the, you know, it, it has to be nuanced and you have to look at each situation. Yes. Uh, uh, Trey, can you talk about your experience church planting? How many people did you start with? What does it look like planting in your context? What are some challenges? We talked a little bit about that. I think you could uh, maybe if you want to talk more specifically with what was that launch team like um, mm-hmm. and what and what was that experience? Yeah, so we launched in a movie theater. Uh, it's really strategic location next to a university. And so that's why we launched there. It's in the north side of, of the city. My dad's church is in the south side of the city. And we launched with a core team of 35 people. I wish I waited and went, got a little bit bigger, uh, but it is what it is. And I lost most of them within a year and a half. And you talk to most church Mm. planners and that happens often. Mm. Uh, It doesn't help that my dad's church was portable when we launched and then they got their own building a year and a half in. So a lot of those guys were like, let's go to Trey Van Camp, but the the original, let's go to Billy Van Camp's <laughs> church, and it has a nice building in it. So we lost all those folks, and that really transformed me and hurt yeah. me a lot. Um, but some of them are back now, which is a really cool story of huh. redemption. But, it, yeah, the first year and a half, two years is brutal, especially as a 23-year-old man. I don't know why they let me do it. I keep thinking that <laughs> recently. Those idiots, man. <laughs> That's but, funny. yeah, there's a lot of challenges, and I think yeah. the biggest challenge was just my own emotional health and my own leadership that I had to really quickly grow into. Uh, we'll end with this question. This is, and this Jeremy. is, you know, this, this is kind of what we, uh, my heart with these conversations, cause I'm going to be doing a lot of them. Uh, do you think toxic Christianity culture will ever get better? Or do you think it's always going to exist until Jesus comes back? I want you to answer this first. And then I have a very interesting perspective on this. So, uh, what do you think, Trey? Oh, man. Well, you read church history, and it's always a mixed bag. So I, I'm not super hopeful, but I do pray that people are getting wiser and who they platform. I think people have influence, and I think they're starting to recognize, oh, let's, let's not just pick charisma. Let's look at their character first before lifting mm-hmm. them up. And so I'm grateful for, for guys like Ruslan. Ruslan loves to grow fruit on other people's trees, and that's a sign of character and a sign of uh, honor. And I, I just love that about him. Um, so I, I do think, I also think, uh, you know, we talk about the essentials of the Christian faith and I think we have to expand it. You have the, the orthodoxy of doctrine, um, but you also have to have Francis Schaeffer calls it the orthodoxy of relationship. Mm. And so how we live together and how we love is also essential. Uh, to the Christian faith. It's not just our beliefs. It is our behavior and how we love each other. So I'm prayerful. Uh, some great guys that are, I see recently kind of raising up, like Pete Scazzaro is a great guy, John Mark Comer, John Tyson. A lot of these guys really push uh, that love is the measure and and how we need to be emotionally healthy and how um, 
yeah, they, it's not a celebrity cult status. I'm hopeful for the leaders that are kind of rising up in recent days, but I do think you'll always have toxic culture. I just hope we stop combining fundamentalism and evangelicalism and say they're all the same thing. I hope we are able to say, no, that's not yes. even, that ain't us not at all. the same thing, fam. It's not yeah. the same label. So yeah. let's, I hope that begins to happen. And I think that'll help a lot. That's so good. So here's the pros of toxic Christianity culture, because I'm an optimist. Mm. So I'm always looking for the upside. Here's the pros. If you look at any of these things, if you look at the the pod that we were talking about, the podcast we were talking about, if we look at fundamentalism and evangelicalism being being conflated, if we look at mandates for you know in, in the overlap of the the bang bang with the vid, um, and some of that, if you if you look at uh, even the MAGA movement, right? If you look at these folks in all of what we would call "quote unquote" toxic. Um, which I think there's a there's another example in here somewhere. Um, what I what I what I find hopeful is that, um, fam, we're deep out here. Like like Christians mm. who take to take their faith seriously, we're deep. And I did not think we were as deep as we were. Meaning that when I first got saved, and Americans were like, "We're seventy five percent Christian." I'm like, "Get out of here." I don't know, 75% Christian. Right. Seven out of 10 people I meet that are Christian, that may be culturally Christian. But now I would say, and maybe because I'm more in the ecosystem, but I would say there's a there's way more Christians out here who, as misguided as they are, as maybe too fundamentalist, maybe too conspiracy theorist, maybe too MAGA, maybe too whatever, there's a lot of them out here. And there's a lot of people out here who take their faith seriously. That's a good thing to me in the macro sense. In the macro sense, we're not that far gone where we're this godless nation where, right, like, I mean, yeah. there's probably, if, if we just had to throw a number out, Trey, I would say there's, I would say the majority of America, more than more than half half the population, well, let's just call it 300 million, I would say the majority of America, 150 million, to some degree, take their faith seriously, which is which is really which is really powerful if you think about it, right? I mean, it, faith in it, Jesus, not in Jesus, just faith. Got maybe it. faith okay. in the in the wrong Jesus, maybe faith in a, in a false Jesus. Right, I'm maybe rocking with you now. Something then. I would it. say that half a mil, half the population has some degree of faith, and they take it seriously. Whether they're in a cult, whether they're in a false religion, whether they're following a fundamentalist Jesus, whether they're following a liberal Jesus, whether they're following a progressive Jesus, right? They take their faith seriously. That to me makes me hopeful, right? That to me makes me hopeful. The how we deal with quote unquote toxic culture is I think we just have vulnerable conversations. We we don't we aren't afraid to disagree, and we let the best ideas rise to the top and say, yeah. "Man, we're all brothers here. You're a bit too fundamentalist. You're a bit too charismatic. You're whatever." But we're all brothers in the faith here. I consider you a brother even if I disagree with you. Let's hash it out. Let's have some good conversations. Let's let's work through these disagreements. Um, and 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 I think let those best ideas rise to the top. And I'm yeah, confident that the paradigm that I'm seeing the world from is not perfect, 
Uh, but but I think the way the way we approach these things, Trey, the way you do, Pastor Roy, even though we all have theological differences, Jason Mayfield, a lot of the people I have on this channel, I think more or less we're we're kind of moving towards the right direction. And I think yeah. this is where new media comes into play. I think this is where YouTube and TikTok comes into play. Um, so I'm I'm hopeful in that in that regard. I really am hopeful in that regard. Uh, and I think we have to build that new culture, and we have to support with what, what you're willing to what voices are you willing to platform what's the, i mean again right. like alan parr bible uh the bible project like these are amazing resources that are rising to the top and people will be like well it's because he's a false teacher no 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 no. it's because he has the best <laughs> ideas he has the best mm-hmm. ideas and he has the right temperament and he has the right relationship with how he's willing to talk about stuff and that to me is is super hopeful and so i think in that um i just say man Let's 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 let the best ideas win. I'm not threatened by anyone. I'm, I was right. I was I was looking at. Uh, I, I talked to people that are like in the progressive camp or the the converting camp or whatever. And I talked to two different people. I, I was paying attention to two different people. One person I talked to, another person I was I was looking at their Instagram. And and the person I was talking to, I said, "Bro, um, thank you for just being humble." And mm-hmm. he's like, "What do you mean?" I said, "A lot of people who are on this deconversion kick, deconstruction kick, like." They're just as arrogant as the fundamentalist. Right. They're just as dogmatic as the fun. And uh, thank you for being humble. And he was like, "Man, that's actually really, really cool." And we had like we had hashed out like a pretty essential thing, and we and we kind of like agreed to disagree. But we but he was so humble about it and was literally like, "Man, I don't know." And I was like, "Yeah, but I, I don't really know. Like, I think I think I'm right, but I don't really know." And it was and it was and it was refreshing. And so I think like building those bridges with people we disagree with and just. I don't know. I'm just, I'm just not scared. Like I'm just over being scared. Like I'm not All scared. All truth is God's truth. So All throw it at me. All truth is God's truth. You know. Here's something. Absolutely. Here's something. Here's something that'll that'll edify you and challenge you this week. And Trey, you should check this out. Um, I just 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 stumbled across this, and I know you guys are like, you're going on this w- weird thing, but this is how I just, just say this because I feel like this is more of like a family <laughs> talk. Like the conversation, the comment section is all positive, more, more or less. Oh, good. Um, I, I discovered that Francis Collins, Dr. Francis Collins, is a, is a believer, is a, is a Christian. And I watched his testimony, and, and Trey, it, it blew my mind. Francis Collins is the head of the NIH. And mm-hmm. he had a testimony of, uh, this is one of the top scientists, top, top, top minds in our country, arguably in the world. And he has a testimony, you guys can look it up, Francis Collins, how I became a Christian. And he shares his testimony, how he became a Christian, how he went from agnostic to uh, deist, from deist to theist from theist to Christian and like literally documents his journey with science and how he arrives with a, at a, at a, at a, at Jesus being the way. And it was so dope. And then I said, I want to go down this rabbit hole. And I went down and I watched his interview with unbelievable and his interview. And some of you guys, but like buckle up, this might blow you. Some of you guys might get really uncomfortable. Trey, you might get really uncomfortable. He talks about theistic evolution. And he says, yeah. man, mm-hmm. I believe in evolution. This is, this is why I believe in it. And here's how I reconcile it with Genesis. And I believe Adam and Eve were literal people because Paul and Jesus said Adam and Eve were literal people. And he gives this explanation. I was like, this is challenging. This is really good. This is this 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 is this is embracing of science. Um Wow, I've never thought about it this way, right? And I've never mm-hmm. saw them as a poso- opposing because I remember taking a world religions class and remember discovering civilization is 6,000 years old, even though human life is, you know, according to science, billions of years old. So I never saw those two things in conflict. And, uh, and, and when, I, when I heard that, I'm like, man, this is, this, this is challenging, but it's good 
for people to have just a wider spectrum of Christians who say, nope, Jesus is the only way. Jesus bodily rose. We believe in Adam and Eve as literal people. God ultimately pushed this thing into creation. How we got here, we don't know, right? And, and, and I think that stuff is helpful. And I'm just not threatened by it like that, right? right. I'm not threatened by that. I'm not, I'm not afraid. Like, I'm really not scared. If that's true, and, 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 and it was a very compelling argument, if I'm going to keep it a buck, I've never really thought about theistic evolution, but I heard it, and I was like, that sounds pretty good. Like, okay, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I said all that to say uh, the best idea should rise. Let's not be threatened. Let's not be scared. And, and let's operate out of love and humility. And, uh, yeah, so I'll give you the last word, Trey. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess going along with that, a big problem we have is we are orphans. We don't know our church fathers and mothers. I mean, there's a, a lot of incredible people throughout history that believed in theistic evolution. So it's like, that doesn't shock me. I've learned that about church history. And so I think when we learn from those who have gone before us, there's a lot of battles we're fighting that our forefathers, our foremothers have already fought. Mm. And so mm. I think that gives us that humility and, uh, you know, kind of that, like, it's okay. This isn't the end of the world. We've struggled through these questions before. It's just a new generation and so, and I think we have to give answers differently, right? You know, and like we have to contextualize differently is probably the better way to say it. So yeah. my biggest goal in life is, I think Tim Keller said this, I don't know verbatim, but he said, I, I've learned not so much just to prove that God exists, but to prove that you can't live without him. And I mm. think that's a great apologetic. Like you just can't, Jesus is better just to tie in my little tagline that I do a lot. You know, and what if we lived life that way? I think that's such a compelling apologetic we need to get back to. Man, ladies and gentlemen, Trey Van Camp, the solution. Guys, go subscribe to Trey's channel, man. Show him some love on social. Trey, thank you so much. Uh, Hopefully we get the gang back together for uh, stop quoting that, that Bible verse. Um, but, uh, I'm so, I'm so glad we did this, bro. Uh, and, uh, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I can't wait to hopefully hang out in person sooner than later. And, um, yeah, man. Thank you, brother. This was gracious of you. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you, brother. King's Dream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. When the culture says, do what you love, we respond with love what you do. You may have responsibilities that you aren't passionate about. But loving what you do means being faithful to what's in front of you. Committing to excellence as if that were your greatest dream. Colossians 3.23 says, Work diligently at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Love what you do. Love what you do. King's Dream Entertainment. Bruce Lawn. Yo, thank you so much for making it to the end of this video. If you found it valuable, considering giving it a like and subscribing. This month, I'm releasing the Love What You Do collection. And to celebrate, I'm doing a three-day virtual event to help us go from learning to love what we do to ultimately doing what we love. By the way, it's free. So hit the link in the description to grab your seat today.